my grand vision as council president is simple good governance. And I believe that if we do business this way, we will do a whole lot of good for our constituents and deliver results for the people of Seattle. So I'm proud to be here. We've got a fresh start. Now let's get to work. Thank you very much, everybody. Well, that's your new Seattle City Council President, Sarah Nelson, talking about a new emphasis on good governance for the city of Seattle. Seven council members sworn in this week, five of them new, plus they're working on bringing in another to replace outgoing council member, Teresa Mosqueda. What's that process going to look like? And how will a barrage of initiatives impact our state legislative session this year, including the work that needs to happen with a ferry system that continues to take on water? Well, we are looking at these stories and so much more this week on Seattle News, Views and Brews, your coffee break political podcast. We are releasing this show now on Wednesdays to help Get a little bit of a closer eye on what the city council is up to in its Tuesday meeting. So thank you for joining us. I'm Brian Callanan. I'm a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are mine. And I am with my co-host, David Croman of the Seattle Times. And David, I don't want to give it away here, but it looks like you're working on a story about people trying to get down to the college football national championship in Texas as the Huskies take on Michigan. Any crazy stories so far other than people paying way too much to try to get down there? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if working on a story, that might be an overstatement. I was just curious if anyone uh, was stringing together uh, a bunch of different modes to get down there. You know, some people are taking trains from New Orleans to Houston, but, you know, that's oh, only wow. a that's only a five-hour trip. So I guess that's not out of the, that's not crazy. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure a story will come out of it. But was just curious if somebody was, you know, trying to greyhound their way down there. Oh, yeah. Well, if someone takes a hot air balloon, man, that's totally going to happen. So I'm in. That that sounds great. Well, thank you, David, as always, for joining me. Thanks to our background noise sponsor, City Grind Espresso, on the first floor of City Hall. Thanks also to our show patrons. A special shout-out to Steve. Just became a patron at the $5 level. Steve, thank you so much for your support. Your very own Seattle News Views Brews decal is headed your way, sir. Make it a New Year's resolution, folks. If you've been listening for a while, support the show. This podcast is now starting its fifth year. Thanks to you. Wow. Help out the effort by becoming a patron on Patreon. A big thanks also to Converge Media. The video version of this podcast is on Converge. You can watch it Wednesday nights at 7. All right, let's get rolling right here, right now. Well, we have a new Seattle City Council, folks, one that came across as a very collegial bunch as they were sworn in on Tuesday. Rob Saka of District 1 gets the top cute points for having his daughter swear him in and say congratulations, daddy, at the end of it. Joy Hollingsworth gets the Sports Metaphor Award for saying the council has to get back to fundamentals like the pivot drills he used to do in youth basketball. David, all fun and games until this group has to start making policy. What are your expectations out of this new council, which, by the way, has the most new council members the city has had in more than 100 years? Yeah, um, I think I think it actually will be kind of a slow start um, because they've got to bring themselves up to speed on basically how to be council people and how the place works. A lot of briefings, I imagine. Um, and then also, you know, on, on top of that, Sarah Nelson said they're, they're not going to have any committee meetings for the first month until they've appointed Teresa Mosqueda's replacement, which is kind of interesting. I, I'm not sure that's, uh, I, I don't know what the precedent is there. Um, so, you know, I think things are going to start slowly. And then when they do get started, you know, it's not, I, I don't think it's going to be a year of a lot of new legislation or sort of new ideas because, you know, there's just a lot of things that they're going to have to deal with between 
the comprehensive plan and yeah. the Seattle Police Officers Guild contract and mm-hmm. uh, and you know on top of all that a two hundred fifty million dollar budget deficit. Right. So um, yeah, y- you know I I think it's gonna be it'll be inter- an interesting year because um, I don't know that it's gonna be you know the most sort of rip roaring innovative year of leg- legislating that we see, but. Um, right. Also, right. it's gonna you know, city hall is gonna have a whole new identity, so it'll be interesting to watch that identity. Yeah. Kind of focus. yeah. And and thank you for bringing up those different priorities there, because I think it was Council Member uh, Morales, as I heard it, who really brought up those ideas that you were talking about there. Some of the specific challenges. I really only heard specifics from her in terms of what they were talking about on Tuesday. So, comprehensive plan. You touched on that. That's due up this year on a ten-year cycle. A new transportation plan. That's also also right. a part of this, David. Ahead of a huge transportation levy that's expected on the ballot this fall. Getting agreement from Spog. That one is super interesting. The Police Officers Guild trying to get a new contract there. Their last one expired in 2020, and then this. 200 to 250 million dollar budget gap in this year's budget i guess just looking at that a little more closely are there other issues you see lurking out there for one and is this group ready to tackle that list of the big four there what do you think yeah i mean there are other issues i think they're going to want to i think this council in particular is going to want to start looking at uh police hiring again um and and this will be kind of where (laughs) we get a real test of you know was it in fact the the radical left city council, or is it uh, just the environment of hiring police right now is really difficult? Because mm-hmm. um, so they're you know they they ran on a platform that they'll be better at bringing on new police, and uh, you know now they have to put that to the test. So that'll be interesting. And you know fentanyl, they, there was a lot of talk about fentanyl yeah. and public safety, and um, but already yesterday somebody I can't remember who it was you know said you know we can't arrest our way out of this problem, right? Um, which is not you know, not altogether that different than uh, what we've heard for a while now. So, you know, if we're not going to arrest our way out of the problem, what is, what's going to be different about how yeah. this city council approaches fentanyl. So, you know, there's, there's always a, of, of course, you know, for, for Bruce Harrell, the mayor and the city council members, you know, it was a rousing victory on election night. Basically all of sure. their colleagues and allies got elected. Mm-hmm. There is a, there is a curse side to that also, which is, there's nowhere to hide anymore. Now they have to do yeah. things they said they were going to do. And um, there's nobody to blame but themselves at this point. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know, that it, I, I'm not saying that they won't, but um, that now it's, there's, it's kind of put up or shut up time. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. And I just looking ahead to what the council has to do almost immediately, they have to select uh, a new council member to fill this position eight role. And just real quickly on that committee issue and very important what council member Nelson said there about holding off on these committee meetings until they get this other council member in place. Uh, go down the list here. Rob Saka on transportation. He's calling himself the king of potholes. Really hope that doesn't backfire for him somewhere down the line. Tammy Morales is on land use. Joy Hollingsworth on parks, public utilities, and technology. Maritza Rivera on libraries, education, and neighborhoods. Kathy Moore on housing and human services. Big one there. Dan Strauss on finance, native communities, and tribal governments. Bob Kettle is on public safety. Sarah Nelson on governance, accountability, and economic development. Whoever gets to fill Councilmember Mosqueda's role gets sustainability, so environmental concerns there, city light, and arts and culture. Good luck with that trifecta. That's quite a, quite a grouping there. And so, David, just kind of going over the, the lay of the land here, the council will take applications through January 9th, make an appointment on January 23rd. This appointment lasts until a special election this November and then part of the regular elections in 2025. I wanted to give all that background because 
This just feels a little different from the usual appointment process to me, where it's just for a few months here. It's a much longer run, and it would be a new person joining a group of many other new people. I'm not looking to specific people from, from you here, but do you think the person who goes for this job, a citywide seat, might want to make it a permanent position? What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, in past, past times we've done this, I know the council has explicitly said they don't want somebody who wants it permanently. I'm, I'm trying to think. Right. I think it was when right. John, John Okamoto yep. uh, mm-hmm. finished out, who was it, Sally Clark's term, I guess? Um, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, that was like a, a requirement that they that he not run for election. I would think right. in this one that, that, wouldn't be right. a, that wouldn't be a requirement because there's already so much turnover. I, I would think that they would probably actually and what's one more somebody, uh-huh. <laughs> right per, yeah. prefer some i would think that they would actually prefer somebody who would want to stick around because um yeah you know once they get their feet under them they don't want to disrupt things again but I, you know i don't i don't know how how they'll go about that yeah it, it's it's that whole idea of do we take somebody new do we try to bring in an old hand who has some more experience with city government and bolster up that side uh for the council i mean i, I feel like that might be the balance here in terms of who they're looking for yeah, that was the pitch that Councilmember Morales made, which is somebody they, they need somebody who really knows how to hit the ground running on some of this stuff because of what yeah. we just talked about. You know, I think to a certain extent that's probably Councilmember Morales trying to hedge, like you know, mm. it, because th- this council can appoint another Bruce Harrell ally without any problem. They don't need Councilmember Morales's vote on yeah. this. Um, and I expect they will. I, I think um, she's probably sort of subtly making a pitch that, you know, understanding that, but, you know, whoever that person is can't just be, you know, I, I have heard the names of a couple of people who ran and lost, you know, Tanya right. Wu's name. Tanya Wu. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's sort of a pitch that it should not be somebody like that and should perhaps be basically more of a bureaucrat, somebody who knows mm-hmm. how the government functions. And, yeah. um, you know, if, Councilmember Morales is probably not going to get a fellow progressive appointed to that position, but if she can get somebody yeah. who just just kind of knows their way around government and can take some, you know, informed, not too controversial votes and somebody that yeah. she can work with, yeah. that would be a victory for her. Yeah, no, that's it's really interesting to see how this one plays out. Councilmember Morales also saying during the meeting on Tuesday that you'll know you'll know where I stand. It might be a different brand of politics than some of the other moderates that are on the council right now. But I'm interested to see how this process goes through. And again, this is something where we will see that appointment by the end of this month, January 23rd. And those applications are coming in through January 9th. So we'll see what happens there. A big, big moment for the Seattle City Council replacing council member Teresa Mosqueda. So, all right, well, up next here, as the state legislature starts its session next week, it is facing some serious challenges from the state initiative process. What state policies are under fire? We're taking a closer look on. Now hear this. Well, if you're keeping score at home, there are six initiatives likely to make your ballot this November that would erase or seriously set back a number of policy measures enacted by the state legislature, which begins its session on January 8th. Happy birthday, Elvis. One of the hottest topics we have touched on it here before on the podcast is an initiative to overturn the Climate Commitment Act with Governor Inslee and others have touted as a way to win the fight against climate change. Opponents say, hey, this is killing us on gas prices. I talked with State Senator Joe Wen about this in a Patrons First podcast a few weeks ago. Here's what he said about this initiative versus the groups who are in favor of the Climate Commitment Act. There's some unlikely allies who are supportive of the CCA 
uh, fuel companies, uh, uh, large uh, corporations here, climate activists, things like that. This was the compromise bill that we had been working on for over a decade. So the idea that folks who, you know, may not necessarily believe in climate change, think that this whole thing can be repealed. I don't know if that's going to sell well at the ballots for Washington state, but you know, we do take it seriously. And just to recap here, folks, this is one of six initiatives pushed by a group called Let's Go Washington. Brian Haywood of Redmond has put $6 million towards gathering signatures here. Along with repealing the CCA, there's a measure to roll back the tax on capital gains, a proposal to ban any state or local government to impose a tax on income, an initiative to loosen restrictions on vehicle pursuits by police, a measure to let parents opt kids out of sex education, and an initiative to let people opt out of the long-term care program called the Washington Cares Act. David, I'm thinking about this. We had zero state initiatives on the ballot last fall. Now we're talking about six potentially. My basic question to start here, what do you make of Senator Wen's argument that initiatives, while certainly allowed by the state and our democratic process, have the potential of dismantling some consensus building that has been years in the making between fuel companies and environmental groups, just using the Climate Commitment Act as, as an example there? Yeah, I mean, that's a it, it does kind of, because the, the Climate Commitment Act was um, kind of hammered out with some of the fuel companies involved, and it was, right. um, I wasn't covering it very closely, but it was, my understanding is it was something that they were basically accepting of at the time, and um, I think that takes... Because yeah, I mean, you look at you look at a bill in the legislature, and almost no bills, maybe not almost no, but not that many bills get introduced in one session and pass that session. Most bills mm-hmm. take a couple sessions, a lot of consensus building, a lot of workshopping, and that's kind of how the legislative process works. I, I think his argument that the initiative process kind of comes in and disrupts that, and um, y- you know, that's that's real. And if you're a legislator, I think that's that's frustrating. Um, you know, it is what it is that we, we live in a state where it's fairly easy for citizens to get initiatives on the ballot. And, um, you know, as I think Danny Westney at my paper pointed out, it's, you, you know, these, these six initiatives uh, threaten to take a fairly major ch- bite out of Jay Inslee's entire, uh, <laughs> you know, entire legacy, tenure, yeah. governor, whole legacy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it'll be, and I also think it, it creates a little bit of a limbo feeling for in the legislature um, because they're, you know, I think with the Climate Commitment Act money, some of that money is in already, and they'll yep. want to spend that. Same with, same with um, capital gains. But capital as far gains. as sort of long long term planning goes, uh, you know, I I don't I would be surprised if they sort of tie any essential programming to the revenue in the future with an eye oh. towards towards this, and I it, it does kind of. Uh, put them in a holding pattern to a certain extent on some of this stuff. Yeah, that's a great observation because we're talking about a short session here that's going to be over in March, and then they have to somehow prognosticate what's going to happen in November. And I guess that's on my mind, too, because I think about this. A slate of initiatives are on the ballot here, and we're talking about a presidential election year where turnout should be a lot higher um, and I know we're talking about some very, very different measures here. I think you could certainly classify them as more conservative in nature. Uh, do you have any idea about how these might fare at the ballot box? Any thoughts on this? Maybe climate is the big one for sure, but any other thoughts on these big six? Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, taxes don't do well on ballots generally. Um, and so for that reason, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but if you're a backer of the capital gains tax or the Climate Commitment Act, I certainly certainly would not be um, feeling totally comfortable because, uh, yeah. you know, if somebody, if you ask people on a ballot, do you, do you want, uh, taxes, even if, even if those taxes 
don't apply to you, a lot of times people say no, even in Washington State. Um, yep. You know, I, I think if there's a, in some ways, if there's a weak point for this group is that they have kind of bundled those tax, those mm. tax questions with much more sort of cultural issues around, you know, sex ed, for example. Sure. So then, you know, that, that gives a, people lobbying against these initiatives a sort of convenient narrative of, you know, there's, there's not really any disguising these as anything but conservative efforts because they are right. packaged with uh, cultural issues that, you know, in, in Washington State, you know, they put the question of sex ed already on the ballot. I can't remember exactly. Yep. Uh, a couple years and, ago. And it, mm-hmm. and it was, it, it did well. You know, the people supported sex ed. And so if, you're, if right. you have a ballot on there, ballot measure on there repealing the mandatory sex ed, people might take a second look at the other, at the, you know, more financial revenue driven ones and think, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to sign off on these. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think if there is a weak spot, it's that they are really trying to do this all in one fell swoop rather than kind of one initiative at a time. Yeah, no, I remember that with sex ed. It was a big part of the state superintendent's race a couple of years ago when uh, Chris Rakedahl ran against Maria Espinoza, and that was a, a big back and forth there and trying to make that a, a center point issue. And I think voters chose Rakedahl and voters have been supportive of sex ed too in our state. Is that going to change this year? I'm not sure. But yeah, that bundling piece is super interesting to me. And I, I don't know, the, the Climate Commitment Act is the one that comes back front and center for me though, David. And I think, is it going to be my gas prices are too high versus, you know, something with greenhouse gases that I can't really see. I, that, that always feels like the, the challenge for me with these different climate bills. And I guess I should point out when this has been put to the vote, this whole carbon pricing thing, carbon taxes, et cetera, when that's been put to a vote statewide, voters have not been supportive of it. And I, I think that has right. to be a concern for state lawmakers here. And, and you know, the, the campaign will be, look what it's done to your gas prices. So in some ways, it probably depends on what gas prices are doing at that moment. Um, yeah. You know, lately, lately, gas prices have been down quite a bit. I'm, I'm, you know, of course, they're higher in Washington than they are in other states. But, yep. uh, you know, stationed by by me, it's on the, the Suquamish Indian Reservation as $3.50 gas. Uh, so, yep. it, you know, I, I think it's lower in other states, but... That doesn't feel quite as painful. So I, you know, but if it goes back up and it's at almost $5 again, right, then you think they might have a better shot. So, um, you know, also at the same time, it it is, these are going to run in a presidential year Mm -hmm. and Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. you know, Washington hates Donald Trump. So there's going to be strong, (laughs) there's going to be strong progressive left liberal turnout. So, you know, I, again, I, I don't know, um, I don't have an answer to it, but uh, I don't think it's a slam dunk either way. No, no, I don't think so either. I did want to talk about another initiative story I wanted to draw our listeners' attention to, and a shout-out to Publicola for writing about this. The social housing measure, I-135, that Seattle voters passed last year, well, now the group House Our Neighbors, that's the group that helped pass it here, now they're working on a measure to go on the ballot for Seattle voters that would set up a permanent funding source for social housing going forward. Social housing, if you'll remember, establishes a development agency to acquire, build, and manage permanently affordable housing for low- and middle-income people. Uh, Publicola didn't seem to think this funding measure would be a popular idea for Seattle voters. Do you have some thoughts about this, David? Yeah, I mean, this was kind of always the the concern with the social housing initiative is um, they, they kind of left the question of money for later, and so mm-hmm. every step of the way is going to be a battle for to get funding. Uh, right. It's never going to be easy for them through this. 
at any, at any step because there is no money attached. So they have to, they're going to have to lobby pretty hard each time they need more money. Yeah, I think the same. And I'm also thinking about the people who've championed this, including Tammy Morales, championed this measure on the council, ended up working it through and some money from the state to at least get the social housing developer started. But now she's outnumbered by a more moderate to conservative majority now. And I'm just thinking about the future of 135. I mean, what's what's that going to look like? Some thoughts about who supports this, honestly, within city government here and what that looks like. Yeah, again, I mean, it's it passed. Um, it's yeah, it's it exists. Um, so has voter support, it's right? Like has voter support. So I would be surprised if they, you know, just ignore it. But maybe it doesn't right. quite get as much robust right. support. Um, I still think the bigger question that they're going to have to grapple with is is how do they build the housing? <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah, I right. No, you know, we're just kind of talking administrative at this point, but we haven't actually yep. gotten into what it is that they're promising to do, which is build social housing. So mm-hmm. you know, that that is really the you know, we, I, th- I think they'll get their administrative funding, I, you know, eventually. I think they'll get enough support to exist. Uh, whether there's, they get enough support to actually build new housing, though, is really the, the question. Yeah, building it, acquiring it, however you look at it, that very right. uh, very large issue right in front of them is, is larger than any sort of political hurdle they have to get over. So, yeah, uh, very good right. points there made, David, and I, I thank you for breaking that piece down for me. All right, well, coming up, I've got a sinking feeling about our state ferry system. David Croman, your ferry godfather, you see what I did there, has more on compounding <laughs> problems for the state agency. That's coming up on Transportation Talk. Well, David, when it rains, it pours for our state ferry system, I guess. The website crashed again over the holiday season, and we just also learned the head of the ferry system, Patty Ribstello, is stepping down. First off on Ribstella here, she says she will stick around until a successor is chosen, but who wants this job? This is a system that has had a lot of problems, as we've talked about on this podcast over the last couple months. Yeah, it's tough, and it's and it's big. You know, I I, I think people are frustrated with Rubstello because of she's the head of a system that's not doing very well. You know, that said, it, it, I think a lot of the issues are are as big and as difficult to solve as they are because they have been building for decades, literally. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, that puts that puts any leader of this position, I mean, of this department in sort of a tough position because there's not a ton they can do to snap their fingers and suddenly have boats tomorrow. I mean, that's going to take uh, until 2028. There's not really anything you can do to speed that up. <laughs> um, so, and, and, and until then, it's going to be a, a grind. Um, you know, that said, I, I think, you know, you see this sometimes where somebody comes into what is widely acknowledged as a, struggling and, and not very well managed department and you, you're kind of already a rock bottom bottom so you can only go up I yeah. think for some people that's sort of an appealing job because you know if you can come and you can hold this job for four years which is a big if because uh, we don't know who the next governor is going to want in this position yeah good point so you hold this job for four years and then some new boats come online and you bring staffing back up and suddenly things are looking pretty good and and, and you're going to be hailed as, as turning around the system, even though a lot of that has already been set into motion. So, yeah. you know, my, my basic opinion on, on the leadership of Washington state ferries is that it's much, the problems are much bigger than one person. Um, yeah. but yeah. that's not to say one person couldn't benefit from what I think will eventually be improvements, even if those improvements don't come for another four years. 
Got it. Is there one thing that's tip top on the list? I know there's a lot of different different leaks to take care of here, I suppose you'd call it, but is there one issue that's top on the list that a new uh, person taking over the ferry system should be paying the closest attention to? How do you look at that? Yeah, I mean, I think staffing because it, it is theoretically something that, uh, you know, new policies could um, could could bring more people online. Um, there was an op-ed from, there was an op-ed in the Kitsap Sun recently from a new representative. I actually went to high school with him um, and he was recently <laughs> appointed as a uh, state representative and uh, his name is Greg Nance. Uh, okay. And he... He, he had argued he argued for you know things like uh, fast tracking navy ex navy employees who might work mm. at Kitsap Banger Base to be able to you know easily come and work for the ferry system or you know things like that. There there are policy tweaks that could be done to to bring on more people. Um, so I would think that is something they step into because they have the most control over that. Yeah. You know the other thing is I, I think the kind of big hope right now. So originally it was that they were going to build one boat at a time. You know, they find one mm-hmm. shipbuilder who's going to build a boat. And then when they're done with that boat, build another boat. Now yeah. they're kind of hoping that they can find two shipbuilders who can build multiple boats, you know, each be yeah. building a boat at the same time, or even one shipbuilder with, with multiple dry docks who can build multiple right. boats at a time. Yeah. This, and this is why um, they reached so, yeah. out. They reached out nationally rather than trying to keep it right. in the state. This is the new deal of reaching out nationally to see if there's a shipbuilder that could help. Right. So if they could find somebody who, or, or multiple uh, companies that could build boats and have two boats come online in 2028, that would be that would be significant in that it would really that would make a big difference if you could get two new boats instead of just one at a time. So there's yeah. you know, there are some things they can do. They are still paddling uh, or maybe motoring upstream on a lot <laughs> of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I know we're going to get a lot of uh, great, great puns throughout this discussion. I just, I just want this system to to be working better, and I know you do too, my ferry traveling friend. Uh, well, it is time to wrap up with you here, David. And if I could, I want to keep cooking on the hot stove with you here. Uh, we're talking about baseball once again. Do we just give the Dodgers their World Series rings when the season opens, or or what do you think? They got Shohei Otani, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, two huge pickups over the past couple weeks here. That team is looking pretty awesome. Yeah, they are. And, you know, they're the World Series favorites. But this is, you know, it's baseball. It's not basketball. Uh, mm. Le- when LeBron James went to the Heat, you kind of knew they were going to win. You know, the Dodgers are in a good position, but it's baseball and it's a game of statistics over a long period of time. So, you know, I was pretty, you know, the the, the Braves probably should have won the World Series last year. But yeah. mm-hmm. instead it were the Rangers and the Diamondbacks. So, you know, right. you never know. Right. Right. I know. Well, I like your cautiously guarded optimism, David. That's what I'm going to interpret that saying right there. And I thank you once again for joining me here. And I thank everybody listening to Seattle News, Views and Brews, where you can always find out what's brewing in local politics. This podcast is on Apple, Spotify, wherever you might like to listen. Make sure you're tuning in. And please, please find Seattle News, Views and Brews on Patreon. Show your support, folks. Thanks for watching on Converge Media, too. Happy New Year, everybody. See you next time. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Callanan Media Services. Copyright 2023.